Okay, if you would like to turn to the Gospel of Luke, and I will read the passage for my husband, and it is Luke chapter 16. He also said, and I'm reading from verse 1, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking away the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things and they derided him. Amen. Amen, amen. You'd be surprised. The, the, the Bible speaks, I think in the New Testament, there are 500 verses on faith. Maybe in the whole, sorry, whole Old and New Testament. There's more than 2,000 verses on money. So money is the subject. A lot of people don't like to hear it preached about in the church, but it's the subject Jesus taught about more than any other subject apart from judgment. And I, I just counsel you, as you hear this message, make sure you're not a Pharisee who derided the message that Jesus brought about money because it's really important, and you'll understand why it's so important by the time I finish today. And I know some people, you may have been in places where uh, it has happened in the church where money has been preached 
in a manipulative way or an abusive way. That's sad, but it's really important for you that you don't throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Baby needs to stay in the bath. And, uh, and what I'm going to speak to you today about, what I'm going to speak to you today is the Word of God. It's not, this church doesn't need money. We've got plenty of money. We always have because God looks after it. He's our source. So we don't need your money. We don't preach to manipulate you to give money. And I, you know, every decent preacher, I am, I am not the author of the letter. I don't write any letters. A poor preacher writes a letter and then he uses the word of God to justify what he wants to say. A good preacher just brings the letter and he's the mailman. He delivers it. But he doesn't write the letter. So I've got the letter. I'm just going to deliver it. It's like a cook. You know, a, a, a chef. Here's a chef over here. Good one. Uh, but I'm not the chef. He's the chef. God's the chef. I'm the waiter. A preacher is the We just bring the word of God to you today. So if you get offended, you're not offended at me. You're offended at what God is saying to you. It's the word of God. That's what this church does. We preach the word of God. What we've been speaking about lately, I've been speaking about stewardship. You know, we spoke about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, that message was all about stewardship. It's, it's about stewarding. God gives you a gift, then you're accountable for it. You've got to develop it, but you're a steward. And stewardship is a really big subject in the scriptures. If you've been given children, they're not yours. They're God's. You are a steward. You're accountable to develop them and to raise them and to teach them the Word of God so when they grow up, they will not depart from Him. Same with your spiritual gift. What is given to you belongs to God. It comes from God. In fact, everything is God's. Everything comes from God. Your legs come from Every ability you have, everything. And the Bible says... The, in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But what is important, the, the important today is the issue. And God wants you to I really understand this. It's critical if you're going to prosper in your Christian walk and get to where God wants to take you, that you understand stewardship. Father God, help us today. Anoint this word that we may hear what heaven is saying today. I mean, the passage Michelle read today, you'll notice in verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 8, the word steward or stewardship. That means if something appears a couple of times in the Scripture, it's important. But when it appears many times, it's vital we understand. You know what the passage is about. Don't worry about the, the alternative things. It's about stewardship. And particularly, it's about the stewardship of money. Many of Jesus' parables were about stewarding money. He used parables, he spoke about miners, and he spoke about talents, but it was how to steward money he was trying to teach people. Because money here, you'll see, money, Jesus called it in the parable, unrighteous and righteous mammon. Mammon is a spiritual term because money has a spiritual power. It has a spiritual power to get you where God wants to take you, or it has a power to disqualify you. And in this passage, you will see the money issue cannot be avoided. It must be settled in your heart 
Because the last verse says, no servant can turn to two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will be loyal to the one and despise the, one, the, the other. You cannot serve God and money. You will love God or you will love money. It's impossible to love both. It's very important that we don't love money. Not money, but the love of it, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. And people say, well, this is a message for rich people. I, I've actually seen many rich people. I've seen many needy people in my life. My experience is needy people love money more than rich people. So it's important that we don't love money. But we understand money is a test. Money is a test. Because Jesus says here, speaks about mammon, speaks about stewardship, and verse 10 speaks about faithful. He who is faithful in what is least will be faithful in much. So he's, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So God wants to give you true riches, blessings that money can't buy. But the way he determines whether he's going to give them to you is he first tests you on the issue of money. And if you're faithful with money, then you qualify to receive the true riches that money can't buy. So you can't ignore money. You cannot ignore money. You actually have to understand God's e economy in order to get the blessings that heaven wants to give you. So he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. So here it is. God says, I want to give you, I want to give to my children blessings. I want to give them blessings of anointing and, and revelation, all these blessings that money can't buy, generational blessings upon your children and your children's children. And who am I going to give them to? I don't know who will be faithful with those gifts. Because, you know, some people abuse the spiritual gifts. They abuse the anointing. But he says, how, how will I know who to give these precious blessings to? Let me give them some money first and see if they're faithful. Because if they're not faithful with money, they won't be faithful with the gifts. If they're not faithful with money, they won't be faithful with the true blessings that money can't buy. So we need to be faithful to qualify. What is it to be faithful? It is to tithe. I know there are some people that are actually trying to tear apart the theology of tithing. But I've lived long enough as a Christian. I've not tithed and I've tithed. You can't stop me tithing. Because the blessing that comes from tithing unlocks the blessings of heaven. So it is to tithe. It is to tithe. And a tithe is the first 10% of your income. There was a time in my life where we got into a bit of financial trouble because we convinced ourselves that our service was tithing. Like my whole life is a gift to God. My whole life is a ministry. No, it's the first 10% of your income. That's what tithing is. No matter who you are, 
Do you say, well, I can't afford? No, you cannot not afford to give God's ten, God his 10%. And I'll, I'll show you why. I will, will tell you why. Some of us are familiar with these scriptures, but they're very, very powerful and they're very important. You know why it's important? Because I believe the world is heading for financial uh, crises. And for many, many people, I believe, you know, they're talking about famines and shortages and inflation, all sorts of things. There are financial challenges ahead. And in, in order to not only get through them, but to prosper in the midst of them, because Isaac prospered in a drought, you have to understand how God does money. You must understand the economy of God because his ways are not our ways. And this is what God says in Malachi chapter 3. He says, will a man rob God? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that, they, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in all the fields, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, starts here by saying, uh, these people were, were living, instead of living as the ch children of God under the blessing of heaven, they're living under the curse. Because there's only two things. There's only two realms, blessing and curse. In the, all the world, you're living under one or the other. There's no in between. And he says, you people are living under a curse. You're cursed with a curse. Why? He says, because you're robbing God. And what this means, I already said, the, the whole earth is God's. And what he says, he says, everything is mine, including everything you earn. And he says, so that I know you trust me. And so that I know you love me, I want you to give me the first 10%. And let me say, in the kingdom of heaven, if you're a Christian, 90% goes further than 100%. 90% goes further than 100%. If you keep the extra 10%, it's the most costly 10% you'll ever occur. You'll get bills. You'll have a hole in your pocket. All these things will come because you're not living under the blessing of God. And these people uh, were living not under the blessing. They were living They were living outside of God's blessing. Now, Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay. If it's all God's, when we give the tithe, we're just giving him back what is his in the first place, what, what belongs to God in the first place. And this is what it says, though. It's the only place in the Scriptures. Let me just say once. You know, someone else said this, but we were broken into twice in a certain home we had. And uh, we were robbed. 
And I never, I never forget, we moved shortly after. One of the reasons we moved is when you're robbed, you feel violated. I'll just say that. When you hold back what is God's, it's a violation of God. It's a violation to God. So he says, well, God says, I want you to do something. And it's the only time in the Scriptures, every other time in the Scriptures where it says the people tested God, it's a sin. It's a bad thing. But here, it's the only time God says, test me, and it's a good thing. And he says, I want you to try me out. And he says, I want you to test me in this thing. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Try me or test me in this, says the Lord, that they may be food in my house. So the tithe is to be brought into the storehouse. Where is the storehouse? It's where the bread is. What is the bread? It's the Word of God. And when the tithe comes into the storehouse, there is food in my house. That speaks of revelation. That's the importance of giving. And he says, try me in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And he says, when the windows of heaven have opened, that means there's such a blessing poured out for you, such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, to understand that, you've got to go to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, my Old Testament teacher used to say, if you understand this, you can pretty much put the rest of the Bible away. Deuteronomy 28 says, first part of it speaks about God will bless Starts by, if you shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of God to observe carefully all his commandments, he says, I will set you on high above all the nations and all these blessings shall overcome you. And there's verse after verse of blessings. Blessed will be the fruit of your body. Blessed will be the work of your hands. Blessed will be your kneading bowl. You'll be blessed as you come in. You'll be blessed till you come out. You'll be just, this is the blessing that Malachi speaks about that you will not be able to contain. And he says, the Lord, verse 12, he's speaking about these blessings, what this blessing is. He said, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. So an open heaven, open, when you tithe, it opens heaven over your life. And when the heavens are opened, all the seed that you've sown gets watered and you begin to prosper. But conversely, uh, heavens can be shut through disobedience. And that results in the curse. Because verse 23 says, your heavens which are over you shall be bronze. And then it says you'll be defeated. The Lord will cause you to be defeated and live under the curse. So Malachi is saying, if you tithe, if you give God, his portion. And, and, and by the way, it's, it just all it does, it just demonstrates to God when you give. He doesn't need the money, but it demonstrates to God that you trust him and that you love him. That's, and we don't do it because we're generous. We do it as an act of obedience. So he says, I'll, I will not only open the heavens for you, 
There'll be such a blessing, you won't be able to receive it. But I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Because why does he say this? Because John 10 says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what devouring looks like. And he wants to devour your finances. He wants to devour your family. He wants to devour your health. He wants to devour your peace of mind. But this, 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 and this is spiritual warfare. And God says, when you tithe, he says, I, God, will get involved in spiritual warfare on your behalf. And you won't have to rebuke the enemy. I'll do it. I'll rebuke the devourer. And to see the truth of this, if you go to Job chapter 1, verse 10, uh, when Satan came to him, Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God yet yeah, because he obeyed God? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. He had a hedge around him. He had a hedge around his household. He had a hedge around his health. He had a hedge around his wealth. And Satan couldn't touch him until heaven said he could. But when you tithe, God puts a hedge around you and your world, and the devil, every time the devil tries to touch it, God's, God, God himself rebukes him. I know somebody, I may have given this testimony here, I may even be here, but they went to buy a vehicle. Anyway, situations happen where they could have been conned, and they could have got a vehicle which was a dud. took the vehicle back and the person who otherwise might have dotted them was happy to give a refund. Most unusual. But I believe those things happen because at the time you're about to be ripped off, God rebukes the devourer. It's really important that we, 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 we understand these principles. God's ways are not our ways. And if you approach finances like a natural man, and like I'm saying, I don't need your money. But if you're a approach of, uh, just like a natural man, you cannot come into the economy of God. His ways are not our ways. And you determine how much blessing you get. It's the only thing God puts in your hand, and you can determine what's going to come back for you. That's why uh, God says uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Verse 38, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and run over. We put into your budget for the same measure that you use will be measured back to you. So you determine what comes back to you. So, so we tithe because to not tithe is to rob God. And we tithe because it opens the windows of heaven over our life, and we tithe, which is, which is the blessings of God that cannot be contained, and we tithe because when we do, and God sees us trusting Him and loving Him with our money, God rebukes the devourer every time Satan comes in to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Proverbs 3 says this. It says this. It says, Honor God with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. That's the tithe. So that your barns will be filled and plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
And we've got to have our minds renewed. We've got to get rid of stinking thinking. God's original plan for Adam was that Adam was to be live in a place of blessing and abundance and the goodness of God. That's what Eden was. And he lost it at the fall. But Christ is the second, he's the second Adam because he brings us back into the environment of the garden, which is a place of abundance and blessing. And that's where God wants you to live. It offends the religious mind, I know. But that's what Christ brought you back into. And you've got to get rid of the stinking thinking that says, uh, God just wants me to just exist or survive. He doesn't. He wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. It was original plan with Abraham. Christ became a curse so that you could receive the fullness of the blessing of Abraham. So he says, I rebuke the devourer. And, uh, and we tithe because God not only rebukes the devourer for us, but because it is to honor God. We honor God with our worship. We honor God with our wealth. And, you know, we come in here every, uh, every Sunday and we want to worship God. And people often sit, they sing this bit of the scriptures. Um, and they actually sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom. But you know they actually forget the, the, uh, the middle verse. It actually says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom. So giving and tithing is an act of worship. We're giving back to Christ honor, glory, and riches. Now, getting back to the passage my wife read, it's so profound here. True riches, true riches are given to those who pass the test of money. If you don't pass the money test, the riches are withheld. You may be somebody who God loves and has believed in Jesus Christ. This is reality. And God says, you're my child, but you don't want to honor me with money. Therefore, you're there and I bless you. But the blessings, the true riches, I, I won't give to you because I haven't seen that you're trustworthy with money. What are the true riches? True riches are things beyond salvation. It's peace like a river. It's joy unexplainable. It's anointing of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life is more value than $100 million. Billy Graham was once asked, it was actually offered, a guy came to him, a rich Texan said, I can give you $6 million if you'll run for president. He said, are you going to be kidding? You know what's on my life? He says, it took me six seconds to say no. Because he knew the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the true riches are the anointing that Jesus carried. The anointing of the Spirit upon your life. True riches are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like the gift of laying on of hands. The gift of miracles. The gift of healing. These gifts of the Spirit are not given to people who are not trustworthy and tested. But they are given to the faithful. Maybe you've had that gift and you've lost it. I would say, if that's the case, examine your finances. True riches are blessings that money 
cannot buy like a prayer life where God is answering you regularly. Answered prayers. Not a bronze heaven, an open heaven where prayers are not only received, but they are answered. It is wisdom that is from outside of this world. When you've got a problem, God is able to drop solutions that are outside of this world into your brain that solve your problems. That is not intelligence. It is the wisdom of God, and it's one of the true riches. Eternal life is one of the true riches. Money can't buy it. One of my ability to hear God's voice are the true riches. All unlocked to the faithful with money. One of my favorite passages and, and one of my favorite dimensions of the true riches. Uh, you know what true riches, one of the great true riches? It's generational blessings. It's my obedience doesn't just bring blessing to me. It brings blessing to my children and my children's children. I've seen it. Hebrews 7 says, Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What does that mean? Is Abraham was a tither before the law was given. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Therefore, because he was obedient to God, Levi was able to receive tithes. From, 88, from Abraham's obedience, Levi prospered. Levi received, not from his own obedience, but from Abraham's obedience. And Levi was like third generation after Abraham. But because Abraham was obedient to the Spirit and tied to Melchizedek, the blessings passed from his children to his children's children. These are the true riches. You know, I often say to people, you know, the problem with prosperity, cheap prosperity preachers today, is they, they, they define God's blessing in terms of money. The blessings of God are, they're not financial. There are things money can't buy. You can have a $10,000 bed, but not be able to sleep. <laughs> blessings of God is put your head in the pillow at night and be at peace. Be at peace. That's the blessings of God. Blessings of God is not to be up and down because your happiness is circumcised. Blessings of God is to have joy that is constant. And blessing of God is divine revelation. You can read this book. Sometimes it can be like a newspaper then the Holy Spirit can lift the lid on all the mysteries and suddenly truth is jumping out in your left, right and center and you're seeing dimensions in here because the Holy Spirit is blessing you with one of the true riches, revelation. Money, money, you know, in the millennium, they're going to be people who are ruling and reigning with Christ. They're, they're, going to be ha they're going to have the authority bestowed upon them from Christ to rule and reign with him. It's real and it's coming so soon. That's one of the blessings that money can't buy. But it comes when we pass the money test. If you have not been faithful 
in what is another man's. Your money is not yours. It's another, it's God's. If you're not, who will give you what is your own? Therefore, if you've not been faithful and unrighteous manage, who will commit to you the true riches? So money and the first 10%, it belongs to God. I, I tell you why we give it. I, you know, many people, I, I, I had a guy get upset and leave the church once because um, he kept saying to me, over and over again, he'd just say, I want to be like Christ, uh, you know. And if I said anything else, he'd say, the only aim is Christ-likeness. And I was, you know, if I preach anything else, he'd come and say, oh, I don't like those messages. I only like the messages where we're aiming at becoming Christ-like. But this same person was, in, was just, they had a kind of spirit of miser. They're ungenerous. And one day the Holy Spirit showed me this. John 3, 16, the most common verse in all the Bible. says, God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave everything, his son. So the most godly thing you can do is give. And God didn't argue about percentage. He gave all. He gave his son and Christ, when he had to go to the cross, didn't give 10% of his blood. He gave all of it. And we quibble over giving God 10%. And you say, I want to be godly, but I don't want to give money. It's a nonsense. The gospel is about many things, but the core of it is giving. God so loved that he gave. And if you don't want to give, you're not godly. Simple as that. You don't want to give to the church. You don't want to give to the kingdom. You're not godly, and you never will be. Because godliness and giving are the same. Two sides of the one coin. How do we give? Well, let me tell you how we give. We don't give emotionally. Because emotional givers receive nothing. Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, I've given orders to the church in Galicia. So you, you must do also on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may, prosper that there be no collections when I come. Storing up as he may prosper, there be no collections when I come. So basically it means that you, when you're giving, you, you, you know, first day of the week or whenever you get paid, you put something aside. It's a consistency. It's not an emotional thing. Consistency. See, and you may say even today, oh, well, I'm, I, I don't have the faith to give 10%. What I'll say to you is that if you don't have the faith to tithe, put, put aside a consistent amount, an amount which you think is going to honor God and be consistent with it. But don't be one of these people who says, I'm going to come to church when I feel good, I'm going to give because they're going to get you nowhere. I'm telling you the economy of God. It will not get you what God wants to give you. So he says, be consistent and be thoughtful. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, there's another verse on giving where Paul says, speaks about sowing and reaping. And he says, uh, who sows rare, um, sparingly will reap sparingly. But it speaks about be Prepare your generous gift beforehand. Be generous to God, whatever it is. goes on to say in the same passage, 
He says, be generous to God. And it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always have all sufficiency in all things that you may have an abundance for every good work. But what we want to do, we actually want to come into the house of God and actually we want to, to, to say to God who gave everything for me, he really did. He could have withheld his son. He could have erased me. But instead, out of a generosity of his heart, he gave the thing that he loved most. He gave everything, his son, and he struck him down that I could be forgiven. Christ held nothing back. He gave all. He was so generous. And we want to have that generous spirit. And when we come in, we should. I, I mean, the most... One of the most joyful things I've discovered as I get later is to be able to give. It is, I, get so, I get so joyful when I can give. If we get a bonus or whatever, to be able to come and just give to Christ. Sometimes I just give it when nobody can see. I just come in, I make an offering, but I do it joyfully. And it is the most joyful, it is the most happy thing you can do. And God loves it. God loves it when we're cheerful in our giving. And he does not like a reluctant giver. You know, if you, if you don't want to give, there's, there's a number of things that you may be contending with. One, you may have a controlling spirit. You may need to be in control of everything. You know, maybe through trauma, because you weren't loved properly when you grew up. You need to be in control of everything, including the finances, so you won't give. You may have a fear of lack. There's fear of death, there's fear of man, there's fear of life, all sorts of fear. It all comes from the enemy. And you may need ministry for that. You may have been spiritually abused in a church that, you know, if you know this church, we do not preach the offering for 20 minutes every week. Some places you go to, the, the, the offering talk every week is a manipulation to give. It's longer than the sermon. And if you've been sitting under that, you may have an understandable reluctance to give because you may have been spiritually abused. But as I said, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You've got to go back to the Word and say, what does the Word say? Because all I'm bringing you today is what the Scriptures say. But, you know, there's a type of preaching that... It's partly true, but the motivation is wrong. And it'll talk about if you, you know, sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So give generously because you are going to get generously. And the trouble with that preaching is God's not a poker machine. He's not a, poker, he's not a slot machine. You don't put it in and get back a great big payout straight away. There's often a long time between promise and fulfillment. Between sowing and reaping, there is often... A, it's like not tithing today or next week and say... People have said to me, I tried tithing two months. didn't work. I'm like, ah. The trouble with that preaching is that the motivation... The motivation is lust. You know, there's a fine line between lust and love. Even in a marriage. Some people get married out of lust, but it doesn't last. Love does. Love never fails. And when you're giving to get, when your motivation, I am giving that I'm going to get rich, I'm the motivation 
is wrong. We give. The motivation must be love. It must be love for Christ. There must be a revelation that Christ gave everything to me. And if you have that revelation, you'll never tithe over 10%. Quibble. You want to earn more money so you can give more. God so loved the world that he gave. His motivation for giving was love. The motivation to give is love for Jesus Christ who gave all for you. Anything else, if you give to get, so many people are walking away from God because they've been sitting under that teaching. God's not blessing it because the motivation is wrong. Motivation is lust instead of love. You know, Martin Luther said there's three conversions. Conversion to the head, conversion to the heart, and the last one, he said, was the conversion of the wallet. And he said, that's often the final one. And I find that, I find that to be profound and true in so many people. But I, I, I want to tell you today, I really feel this is a, an important word for what is coming upon the world, that we need to be people who really do understand the economies of God. We really do need to know the economies. It is impossible to reap without sowing. It is impossible to receive the blessings from God, the true riches of God, without first passing the money test. The money test. What's the money test? It's the first 10%, your income. 90% goes further than 100%. If, if you withhold it, and I don't want your money. But it's the most expensive decision you make every week. It's such a costly decision. Because when you give it, you're declaring to God, I trust you with my finances. And I love you. They're the third things you're doing. It's not about money. It's saying, I trust you in every area of my life. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And I love you. God so loved the world that he gave. That's why we've got to give. It speaks about robbing God, but the tragedy if you don't give to God is you rob yourself. That's, that's the truth. You rob your generations. You rob. Maybe you need more faith. You need to trust God in this area. Because of things that have happened to you in the past. But I do, I do know this one thing. That the true riches, there are true riches from heaven. That money cannot buy. And that's what you really want. <laughs> that's your heart's desire. It's not financial things. So, well, I've got bills, and I've got bills, and I've got bills. God knows you've got bills. 
I've got pressures. I've got... God knows you've got pressures. But he wants to be your source. He wants to be your source. Not a resource. He wants to be your source. So I want to pray for you. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that your desire is to find people. You look, your eyes rode to and from the world to find people that you can bless. But Father, you're not, uh, you're not reckless before you pour out the true riches. You test us. You test us. And Father, I would ask that you would strengthen every heart here to be able to trust you, to be able to give to you, to be able to release to you, so that you may open the treasuries of heaven, open the windows of heaven upon us, and bless us with a blessing that cannot be contained. Father, I rebuke every spirit of fear, every spirit of control, every miserly spirit, every self-centered spirit, every anxious spirit. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. And Father God, we say, let a spirit of generosity, a spirit of trust, a spirit of love fall over your people. Father, you are going to bless those who trust you. In the next months, in the years to come, no matter what happens in the world, you will have a people who are a witness that you do not need the conditions of the world to bless your people. You can open the heavens over your people in a drought. You can open the heavens over your people in a depression. You can open the heavens over your people in any circumstance and pour out such a blessing because you're faithful to your word. Father, we bless you for what you're doing. We bless you that you'll always keep us. We bless you that, Lord, you never lie to us. So help us, Lord. Help us to get this area, this critical area, your economy, right that our ways may be your ways we pray it in jesus name everybody said amen amen stand up and bless god for he gave everything to you and how he's going to look after you in the future no matter what happens in the world you're going to be a spectacle of his grace everyone who's obedient to the word of god will be a spectacle of his grace amen